When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the award-winning Thoughts from a Page podcast, a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network, hosted by me, Cindy Burnett, a voracious reader and book columnist who provides you with casual author conversations and book recommendation episodes, as well as insider information on all of the newest releases that I personally endorse and on the publishing industry in my behind-the-scenes series. With so many books coming out weekly, it can be hard to decide what to read, so I find the best ones and share them with you. For more book recommendations or to find my backlist of interviews, visit my website at thoughtsfromapage.com. Have you read a book recently that really resonated with you and makes you want to read a book more like it? If so, submit a read-alike request to me through my Google form located in today's show notes and tell me why you loved it, and I will suggest some similar reads on a future Tuesday episode. If you are interested in reading some great books before they publish, I hope you will consider joining my Patreon group to access additional content including early reads and pre-pub author chats and bonus episodes. I just added Banyan Moon by Tao Tai for May and The Bones of the Story by Carol Goodman for June. The link to join is in the show notes. Today, I am chatting with Jane Roper about the Society of Shame. Jane is the author of two previous books, a memoir, Double Time, and a novel, Eden Lake. She is a graduate of the Iowa Writers' Workshop and lives in the Boston area with her husband and two children. I hope you enjoy our conversation. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome, Jane. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm so glad you're here because I loved the Society of Shame after Jenna Blum told me about it when she came on my show. Thank you. I love Jenna Blum. (laughs) Well, before we dive into my questions, would you give me a quick synopsis of the Society of Shame for those that won't have read it yet? Absolutely. So the Society of Shame is about Kathleen Held. She's a 47-year-old wife and mother in the throes of perimenopause, who comes home one night to find her garage on fire, her politician husband in his underwear, and an attractive young staffer from his campaign passed out nearby. She thinks things cannot get any worse, but then a bystander on the scene takes a photo that happens to capture a big period stain on the back of her pants. And the photo promptly goes viral, and basically overnight she becomes um, an internet celebrity and the unwitting figurehead for a brand new menstrual justice movement called hashtag yes we bleed so yeah and and what follows from there is quite a crazy adventure so the book is really a it's a satire of internet culture and online shaming and 24-hour news cycle but it's also a, a mother-daughter tale as well 
and politics a little bit as well. For sure. Yes. Politics, media, scandal, all that kind of stuff. You had two starred reviews, which is amazing. Book list and then Kirkus, which is the one people always are worried about. Yes, indeed. Terrified. <laughs> so that was quite a lovely, lovely surprise, a big relief. That had to be. Congratulations. Thank you. Well, I am dying to know how you came up with the idea for this book. The entire time I was reading it, I was laughing. I was really enjoying it. But I was really also wondering, where did she get the idea for this one? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, it's funny. It's kind of a, a strange, twisted little path. But I heard or saw a story online a few years ago about a man who came home to find his wife and her lover who the lover happened to be her mechanic, dead in their garage because they'd been fooling around in the parked car and died of carbon monoxide poisoning, and which is a horrible, terrible story. But it got me thinking about just how humiliating that must have been for the husband. And it got me thinking about shame and humiliation in general. And as a sort of creature of the internet, I've always been very interested by the sort of phenomenon of online fame and online shaming. So as I was turning the story around in my head, it sort of evolved. And I thought, well, I want to write something funny. So I can't have people die at the beginning. But I did love this idea of someone coming home to find their spouse in an affair. And then I thought, well, how can I make this into an even more shameful and humiliating event? And then I was just I was thinking, what's the worst thing that could happen? You know, <laughs> the most humiliating thing for a woman to undergo it, I mean, in many of our lives, right, in our experiences is, oh, my God, if you have a period leak, it's just so embarrassing. And I kind of went from there and it became this this crazy exploration of shame and of, of, of periods also and why we are so embarrassed about them when they're just a normal bodily function. Yeah, so that's the kind of crazy origin story. Well, it's such a unique story, which is one of the things I really enjoyed about it. Oh, thank you. And it's also so funny. Are you funny in real life? <laughs> I like to think I am, yeah. But in my fiction writing, I was trying to be very serious and do, you know, good, serious literary writing. And I didn't have a whole lot of fun, but I kind of felt like, well, this is what I must do. And uh, I had not a ton of success with it. And it really wasn't until I kind of let loose and found the voice and the fun in the society of shame that I was really able to bring humor to fiction. And I had such a blast writing it, way more fun than I had writing any of the more serious fiction that I used to try to write. Well, it's so much fun to read. I'm sure it was so much fun to write. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, it's always fun when you can actually make yourself laugh occasionally <laughs> while you're writing. So. And you mentioned internet fame. And that's one of those things when that first began and my kids would talk about these people. And I'm like, who and where are they? And how did you learn about them? It's such a mind boggling thing, or at least it was for a while. It's so common now that you can become famous from the internet. Yes. And, and famous just for being famous. Yeah. It, it, right. it is crazy. I mean, they're my kids. I have teenage twins who are 16, and one of them is really into TikTok. And you know, they they have this whole cast of characters that they know of just TikTok celebrities. So yeah, it, it really is fascinating. And sometimes it's people who want to be famous, but then a lot of times you have people who definitely do not want to be famous, um, who, you know, for some embarrassing thing happens or they do something lousy and become famous for that. But 
that's the crazy thing about the internet and internet fame is you never quite know what's going to get picked up and go viral and turn you into an internet celebrity or, or I think how you'll react to it. Cause I think different people react very differently. And sometimes it's fleeting and sometimes it's lasting and it's really hard to predict what's going to be what. Yes, exactly. And one of the you know, interesting challenges of with the Society of Shame. It takes place over a month, 28 days, actually, which is not a coincidence, one one menstrual cycle. And I had to really, so much of the time, if someone becomes an internet celebrity, it really only lasts for a week or two. So I had to sort of figure out, okay, let's, you know, I need to stretch this out a little bit and at the same time, sort of compress the arc of her character. So it was balancing the way that <laughs> internet and the and the news you know are so fickle and move so quickly uh, but that's part of you know part of the plot is also Kathleen becomes drawn in and wants to maintain her fame um after a certain point and how she's trying to do that knowing how quickly fortunes change and how fast the news cycle goes especially when you're dealing with things online you do highlight that with the 24-hour news cycle, how the newscasters are looking for stories all the time, because it's really hard to have to constantly be reporting on something. Yeah, exactly. And they'll <laughs> they'll seize on just about anything. And I had fun coming up with some kind of absurd examples of that, of the most ridiculous things that sometimes end up getting into the news. The other thing that you tackle is the movements and the hashtags. And how there'll be one movement and all of a sudden then it gets upended and there's a movement that came out of that movement and it's just almost a domino effect. Yeah, totally. That was a lot of fun to play around with. And I think, you know, some of the movements that have happened online have been incredibly important. I mean, you know, Me Too is, of course, the prime example of that. But, you know, there are the smaller hashtag trends and stuff. And yeah, for this one, we had, I had hashtag Yes We Bleed, which is the main thing. But it ends up spurring yeah, some sort of breakaway movements like, yes, we age and then, you know, hashtag men bleed too and hashtag all blood matters. And so, I, yeah, I tried to also reflect the sort of infighting that happens anytime you get a big movement. You're always going to have then the people within the movement fighting about whose version of the movement is more pure and who's, you know, so I have with these menstrual rights and destigmatization folks, you have the the pad and tampon people fighting with the menstrual cup people who are the environmentalists because, you know, tampons and pads are bad and everyone should be using menstrual cups and they're all fighting for the same thing, but then they end up fighting with each other over the the details. So that's something that was kind of fun to explore. I loved that. And I wondered as you were working on all of it, if you had to really think through, okay, how crazy can I get? How ridiculous can some of this get? Because it gets ridiculous in real life. And so I was wondering in your fiction, if you had to kind of temper yourself or if you went down all these different roads, how how all that worked? That's a great question. You know, sometimes people say these days, like satire isn't possible because life is so ridiculous. And to some extent, it does feel true. So with this book, I, I I wanted to make it, I knew if I made it absurd right from the get go, that sort of would give me permission to be as absurd and over the top as I wanted throughout the rest of the book. And so I started big with this kind of ridiculous scene with the garage on fire and the this uh, taxi driver who takes this photo that captures Kathleen's period stain. And I just kind of, I went big right from the start, but there were times where I had to kind of ask myself, all right, is this 
is it so silly that it's going to distract from the plot or from the sort of some of the real emotions and real issues that I wanted to to explore. So it's a tricky balance. It's definitely a tricky balance. But when I was working with my editor and my agent developing the book, they were good about being like, okay, uh, settle down, girl. Like you've got three ridiculous things in a row here and maybe just one is good. And that way, it, you know, it seems funnier if there's just one as opposed to three. Well, and this is something that I often talk about with authors, that truth is stranger than fiction. But when you're writing fiction, sometimes readers are like, oh, there's no way that could really happen. And it's often the things that have really happened that readers are saying that about. So you have to walk a fine line. Yeah, totally. That That is so true. And I mean, that's what's kind of freeing about writing humor, writing satire. No one's going to say, well, that would never happen. Because like, yeah, of course not. <laughs> that's the point. That would never happen. But again, it's like, you know, things happened as I was writing the book that the where truth and fiction sort of melded. So there's one example where a politician gets caught for having funded abortions for a mistress. And he's a politician who has been very pro-life and very opposed to, to choice. And it wasn't, I mean, that I, I had written like a year and a half ago. And then along came the Georgia Senate race and Walker, I believe that was his name, right? Yes, yes. Right. Who the same thing. They found out he had been paying for these abortions for for women and you know, he was supposed to be this anti you know, anti-choice politician. So it's like, wow, okay, there it is, right in the book. Not that that's not like a crazy example, but still, you know, it when you're writing about current events, truth often imitates fiction. Especially in politics. Yes, for sure, for sure. Well, can we talk about the society of shame without that being a spoiler? Oh yeah, I think so. Yes. The, the society itself, sure. Yeah, so the Society of Shame, as a thing in the book, is a secret society uh, for people who have been publicly shamed or humiliated. And Kathleen intercepts a an invitation to it that's actually meant for her husband, since he was the politician who had an affair. But she intercepts it and shows up. And the society is run by a best-selling author, romance author, who had been canceled disgraced for some remarks that she made. And now she runs this society uh, to help people get their lives back on track and sort of regain control after they've uh, had had these scandals happen. So she finds herself in with this motley sort of group of people, some of whom are more forgivable (laughs) than others. But yeah, uh, I don't want to give too much away about who the members are. But you know, one of them, for example, well, they were captured in a in a photo mooning some folks, and uh, another one was an actor who sort of was brought down in a Me Too sort of scandal. They eat a lot of really good food and drink a lot of really good drinks at their meetings, so that was fun to write. They do. And then her whole process, the woman who runs it, is so darn funny with all the re's, reconnect, repair, restart, everything has to start with R-E. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's got a shtick. Yeah, she has a whole menu of options. That people can pick from sort of how they're going to rehabilitate their lives. Yes, she's very, Danica is her name. She's very influential, you know, and charming. A little, she's got a, definitely a little evil to her too. And she steers Kathleen in a direction that at first seems great. But as things uh, proceed, it's, it's, it's not clear whether that's the best direction after all. So Kathleen is really struggling with her sense of self, even probably as the book opens and has to work through a lot to redeem herself eventually. What was that like, That writing that character arc? 
Um, that was really a, a, quite satisfying. I feel like a lot of women at midlife, you know, myself included, sometimes we sort of stop and say, where, you know, has my life gone in the direction I wanted it to go? Um, here I am, I've got, you know, maybe kids who are getting older, maybe I haven't worked in a while, or I haven't really focused on myself or my career in a while. And in Kathleen's case, she's really let herself fall in the shadow of her husband, who's this very charismatic politician who's running for the Senate. And when this thing happens to her, she has to reassess and say, well, do I want to just maybe I want to be out front, you know, maybe I've been in his shadow for too long, or maybe I've put too much of myself and my ambitions aside. Uh, So this event that this thing that happens where this, you know, period stain seen around the world makes her an overnight celebrity. She really has to confront that and and decide like who am I and um, how am I going to let the the forces beyond my control of the internet determine that or you know in the the fame machine determine that how am I going to um, figure out what's most important to me where are my values and there was a lot of rich territory I felt like to explore even amidst all the silliness and Kathleen has a a very sweet precocious young daughter, a 12-year-old named Aggie, who Aggie is very pure and has a lot of conviction. So while Aggie is very steady and sure of who she is, her mother is kind of vacillating wildly. And I had fun writing the contrast between that, the sort of wisdom of youth versus confusion of, of adults. And so many reviews and reviewers have commented on how much they loved the mother-daughter relationship in your book. Yeah, that makes me so happy. I'm really glad. I'm really glad that people like that. And it's certainly inspired by my own two kids. And there's certainly a lot of both of them in the character of Aggie. So that was fun to write. And I'm glad that sort of tenderness of that story is coming through to folks. Definitely. And Aggie was definitely the more steady one while Kathleen was trying to figure out what in the world she wanted to do. And then once things kind of go awry, how she's going to handle everything. Yeah, exactly. Aggie straight through is very sincere and she really latches on to the whole Yes, We Bleed movement. She thinks it's great and she wants to get involved and she gets her friends involved and she doesn't really care what her peers think about that. Whereas her mother, uh, Kathleen, is so much more concerned with what other people think, both about herself and is worried for Aggie. Like, oh my God, this is going to be social suicide for you. Are you sure you want to do this? And you know, Aggie's kind of like, Mom, I got this. It's all it's all good. What's going on with you? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, she was she was a fun character to write. And then you also address cancel culture, which I think is one of those things that is just getting trickier and trickier. Was it hard to write about it and make sure you felt comfortable with what you were writing? Yes, that was definitely, definitely tricky. And yet it's something that I absolutely took on and wanted to take on in the book. Because I think some it it gets oversimplified so easily in most discourse about it. I mean, I think even the term cancel culture, like nobody really knows what that means, right? There there are some folks who say anytime you criticize someone, you're canceling them, and then other folks who you know say, well, no, that's not exactly what it is. And there's so much nuance that gets lost in conversations about it, but also about when people are shaming or calling out folks online as well. People often get kind of flattened to caricatures of themselves. So I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to really hold up a mirror to 
to the whole cancel culture debate um, more than anything else and just show lots of different sides of it and maybe just get people thinking and asking some questions about where it's important, where it works, where it goes too far, um, and maybe how we could all approach it uh, with a little more nuance and a little more compassion for everyone involved, both those who commit sins and those who uh, are you know, victimized. And it's such a difficult thing because I think so many people jump on the bandwagon, often with very little of their own knowledge. Yes, totally. Yeah, so much of the time online shaming becomes a big, just a big pile on, you know, so people who don't even know firsthand what happened. I think there's something really, I think as humans, we can't help ourselves. Like you, there's a sort of a surge, a feeling of power, adrenaline, where you're like, yeah, get them. I, I, you know, I've certainly done it myself. And I think one thing that people can fall into is feeling like by piling on or by criticizing someone publicly, they are, I don't know, being virtuous or, or being activists. And it's not necessarily the case. You know, I, I, I try to ask myself these days, okay, if I'm, you know, if I want to amplify this misdeed that someone did, or if I want to join in condemning someone, is that, is that the best way for me to make a difference to this cause that this is all about? Or is there a better way? And, and it may be different case by case, you know? It all very much depends on the situation. So again, that's why I feel like fiction is such a great means to explore complicated stuff like this. And I wanted to make sure that I was looking at the full range, right? Looking at things from both the left and the right and the, I mean, I have my own (laughs) political convictions, but in terms of showing how people of, you know, how the whole cancel culture debate or um, phenomenon plays out from different political perspectives and how different people perceive it, that was really important for me to explore. But to make it funny, I wanted to make it funny. I'm sounding very serious right now, but humor is often the best way to elucidate very serious things, I think. I agree. First, the book is incredibly funny, but I think you tackle important topics. And those are really my favorite reads where there is depth to the story but it's fun to read and I'm laughing out loud. And it did make me think about a lot of these things. Good. I'm glad. Thank you. I love that is great to hear. The goal is to make people laugh first, but yeah, then also think so. And I love those kinds of books too. Um, Of course, if you ask me right now to name one, I probably won't be able to, but I always love when I, you know, find actually I could name a couple. I mean, I think Diet Land by Saray Walker is a great example of something that's sort of satirical and very darkly funny, but also makes some great points about feminism, about diet culture, about beauty culture, always on the lookout for for books that are funny and thought-provoking. One that I always recommend is Angie Cruz's book from the fall, How Not to Drown in a Glass of Water. Oh, I haven't read that yet. So it's totally different issues, but it is hysterically funny. But it is talking about immigration and gentrification and community and just all of those things brought together. But it is really, really funny. Oh, awesome. All right. I will definitely put that on my list. That sounds great. Yes. So what was the highlight of writing The Society of Shame? I think the most fun for me was writing the sort of interstitials throughout. So, you know, in the book, there are, you know, there's the normal narrative, but also I have little pieces of transcripts from shows of newspaper articles, blog posts, one is a, you know, art exhibit description. So they're these fun little parody kind of pieces that 
provide a, an outside perspective on all the stuff that's happening around the Yes, We Bleed phenomenon. And those were really fun to write. I just, I've always loved doing parody sort of stuff. So those were, those were a blast to write. I always like unique formats. So it's fun for me when there are things like that that are breaking up the regular prose. Yeah, I do too. They're like a little, um, what is it? Like the the thing between the palate cleanser between the courses, like your little sorbet. Where'd you go? Bernadette did that really well. That was another very funny novel, but I remember being really struck by that. I think that was the first book I read and it was over 10 years ago now that really used the, that sort of thing, correspondence and emails and, and to tell the story. So I certainly had that had that in mind. Definitely. I love that book. I remember exactly where I was when I was reading it because I was volunteering at one of my kids' middle schools and I was in the computer lab while people were registering. And I was just laughing out loud over <laughs> and over again. And people were looking at me like, what is going on? And yeah. I'm like, I'm reading the funniest book. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that, that book is total like laugh out loud funny. So what about your title? Obviously, it comes from the society that's in the book. But was it always your title or did you all land on that after going through a variety of titles? That was always the title. And I think really once, as I was writing, when I started writing the book, I hadn't yet, you know, I found my way to the idea of this society, of this club. Um, but as soon as I came up with the name, The Society of Shame, I was like, yep, that's what the book's got to be about. Because it's, you know, it speaks to the larger idea of of shame in our society and how it's such a big part of of our culture these days. And yeah, luckily, neither my, my agent nor the publisher tried to convince me to change it. So yay. It's a great title and obviously makes a lot of sense once you've read the book. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Thank you. I was I'm usually terrible at titles. So um, like the, the last novel I wrote, which wasn't published, like had like, I don't know, 22 different names, and they all sucked. So I was really happy to have one where I was like, all right, this is the title. This is it. Done. The title seems to either be the initial title that the author came up with, or they've gone through a thousand different titles trying to come up with something that makes sense. It doesn't seem like it's ever in the middle. It's just super easy or super hard. That sounds about right. Yep. And I, you know, what's what stinks is I, I definitely have writer friends who have ended up with titles that they do not love. And it's a drag because you, you know, you have to stand behind the book and you have to, you should like it. You should like your title. You should like your cover. You know, you should feel proud of them. So. Um, I feel very lucky. And I love the cover of this book, too. I was so, so thrilled when I saw it. So that was exciting, too. So tell me how the cover came about. Well, the cover, so just for people who are listening, the cover involves, it, it's an orange cover, and it's got a swan wearing sunglasses looking a little bashful, and, and the society of shame and big scripty letters. And honestly, it's nothing like what I expected. But when Anchor came to me with a few cover designs, it just stood out and I loved it instantly. There are swans in the book. Um, I wouldn't say they play like a prominent role. Well, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I guess they are. I guess they're, they're recurring, recurrent characters, Sonny and Cher, the swans. But, I, you know, I think the swan as used on the cover references that, but it's also sort of a metaphor, right? You've got like the, the idea of pride and, you know, swan representing that, but also the ugly duckling idea and how Kathleen really is sort of an ugly duckling who becomes a swan, sort of. <laughs> um, and there are sunglasses. So it, it speaks to a lot of different things in the book. And I just love the way it all came together. It's so fascinating to me to see how an artist or like a cover designer can interpret a story. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, and that's, like I said, it's I never would have expected it. So it was just 
thrilling to see, oh, wow, she just picked on, you know, she picked these different elements. And it also was like, oh, clearly she read the book because if she knew about the swans, but was also able to capture the mood and the tone and, and make it funny, but not silly. Like, I, yeah, I, it really, I am in awe of designers and art directors. And through my day job, I work in advertising. I work with a lot of them and I just, yeah, I bow down to them. <laughs> and Vian Goyen was the name of the designer who did the cover for the Society of Shame. She's done a bunch of books recently. The one that comes immediately to mind is the cover for Such a Fun Age which also had a great cover. There are a couple others that she's done. She's, she's excellent. And I like how the swan is covering up portions of the lettering. Yes. Yeah. The, the lettering kind of like peeks through the swan's tail and yeah, it's nifty. And I've had fun doing swan related things. I, I did a cover reveal video at the uh, public garden in Boston in front of the swan boat. So that was kind of fun. <laughs> oh, that's very fun. That was Jenna Blum's genius. So, and she has a swan hat that she's going to be lending me in the near future. So, okay, I can't wait to see that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I can pull it off like she can, but I'll try. That's too funny. Well, Jane, before we wrap up, I would love to hear what you've read recently that you really liked. Sure. Yeah. So, a book that I, I'm actually still in the middle of reading. So, but I hope that that's still okay, still counts, is uh, Terra Nova by Henriette Lazaridis. And it is a historical novel about an expedition to Antarctica, and it's also a love triangle, and it is just gorgeously, gorgeously written. The prose is incredible, the way she describes the landscape, but also describes what's happening in London at the time around the suffragette movement and conveys the sort of passions of and between these characters. It's, it's wonderful. And I'm always a sucker for sort of adventure stories, so I'm really digging that one. Another one is also sort of an adventure story. And this isn't a new book, but I read it recently was uh, Erica Forensic's uh, River at Night, which is a uh, sort of nature thriller thing about um, four women who go on a rafting adventure in the Maine wilderness and what happens after there's a tragic accident and they are left in the wilderness and have to figure out how to get out. And the other one is a fellow anchor author, Karen Fine. And she wrote this lovely memoir called The Other Family Doctor about, she's a veterinarian. And I think they're, they're billing the book, you know, marketing the book as a cross between being mortal and all creatures great and small. And it, it really is this lovely, thoughtful book about her, her experiences as a vet and a pet owner and what it's like to care for animals and especially what it's like to care for dying and sick animals and performing euthanasia. And it's just this really, t I'm not like a, I mean, I have cats. I'm not like a crazy animal person or anything, but I think she just does such a nice job of talking about love and loss. I definitely recommend that for pet lovers. I'm a pet lover and we actually had to put our sweet rescue down last oh. summer and it was awful. So, but that sounds like that would be an interesting book to read. I think it, I, yeah, I think you might find it comforting, you know, healing in a way. Because she, yeah, she herself is a pet owner and she handles the whole thing with a really, like, a lot of grace and warmth. Um, so, yeah, I would check it out. The Other Family Doctor. Okay, good. I will. And it's so interesting to see how other animals respond. We have a golden retriever and she misses Lucy so much. Aww. And it's been so sad because. 
I knew she would, but it just is kind of this constant reminder because I know she's like, where did she go? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that is sad. We have two cats and I know if one of them died, the other one would just be lost. So yeah, that's, I'm sorry about your dog. That stinks. Oh, thank you. We're getting another puppy so that Stella will have a friend. So I will probably be crazy for a little bit, but I think long term it will be really nice. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, Jane, thank you so, so much for joining me in the Thoughts from a Page podcast. I love the Society of Shame and I can't wait for everybody else to read it. Oh, thank you so much. This was great. Really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, I, I appreciate your kind words about the book. Of course. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From a Page. Consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. Tell all of your friends about the show and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. The book discussed in this episode can be purchased at my bookshop storefront, and the link is in the show notes. I hope you'll tune in next time. Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast.